Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You're listening to the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Joe DiBiase. Brought to you by Northtown Automotive. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at Northtown. Shop online at northtownauto.com. Oh, man, just a, an amazing call from Al Michaels, right? I mean, Al freaking Michaels, Joe, in 1980, mm-hmm. doing hockey in the Miracle on Ice game against the Soviets. I get especially, uh, I get chills when he says 11 seconds in particular, because when he says uh. 11 seconds, you can hear it in his voice that, like, it's the first time where it feels like, okay, it's going to happen. For some some, some mm-hmm. reason, the way he says 11 seconds always gets me. When I think for me, it's right after that when he says five seconds left in the game, and then he goes right into do, do you believe in miracles? But he he has done interviews over the years where he said he didn't line that up like that just came out. Isn't that what the greatest play by play announcers do? It just it comes out like that. Like he said, he didn't know he was going to say that. He just said it in the moment, which is incredible, actually. And it's it is arguably Joe. It is arguably the most known. Hockey play-by-play phrase ever. Or sports. Sports play-by-play, like, phrase, wording, that people know. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, that's, do you believe in miracles? That transcends, everyone knows what that is. It's the, uh, I would think, if you know sports in some way. Is there any others? I was going to say, is it the all-time sports call? I think for that reason. I think it is for that reason. Like, the mm-hmm. all-time sports call that, like, because everybody knows it. Yeah, I mean, there's been because I think about, I think about J- Jack Buck, 1987. Kirby Puckett hits a home run, and he says, and it, it's Game Six to bring it to Game Seven, and he says, "We'll see you again." And he pauses tomorrow night. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, right? 
So yeah, I, I think um, there's there's a lot in there. I think that you know you could kind of dissect. But I want to dissect the other thing today, the other anniversary. We want to talk all about it. Eight three zero five fifty is the number to call today if you want to jump on. If you want to jump on the extra point show here, Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Joe DiBiase is the Northtown Automotive extra point show. And of course, whatever you're looking for, shop online at NorthtownAuto.com. Joe, you have the Sabre Senators brawl in front of you, right? You have yes, that. I do. You've been watching it. You've seen it this morning, right? So I had it in a tab open all morning. <laughs> I know. Where do you start? Like, do you have it? Do you start it when the? Do you go back and watch Drury get hit? If I had, yes, yeah. If I if I'm watching it in full, I want I want the hit. I want Stafford after. Yeah, I want all that. You want to have the lead up to it, right? So, I think that's right. So, what do we have here? Okay, let's. So let's kind of walk through this and what happened. Now, let me ask you, what what do you remember? Where were you that night when it happened? You were a little younger. We all were younger. But, um, you know, what was your situation in consuming that situation? I would have been watching that game at home with my – definitely with my dad, my brother, and I believe we would have had friends there too because uh, there's – there's multiple of us. There's a lot of us jumping up and down in the room as that as that is ongoing. So I'm I'm at home though watching that. I'm not like at the game or anything. Yeah, I I was I was still living in Florida, but I remember watching it. I'd watch all the Sabres games from down there. I couldn't wait the next day. Like I was teaching, and I couldn't wait the next day to go into school to tell other teachers I knew to turn on. Like we'd we'd have you know ESPN on in the morning or whatever, and it was like leading ESPN, if I remember, the next morning. They were talking about it and showing the highlights. I couldn't wait to go to like fellow football coaches and teachers and go, oh, dude, you got to watch this. Watch what happened last night in Buffalo, right? It's kind of crazy. Um, let's go through this a little bit and kind of you know, how it how it went down. So Drury gets hit by Neil, right? Neil's the one that comes across and hits Drury, and I think we'd all agree it was a pretty pretty vicious illegal hit, correct? Yep. I I think so. It was high. And more so, I think when you w- watch the Sabres bench, they're they're hitting their elbow. But when I watch the hit, I think the bigger crime is it was late. It was so after Drury released the puck. So, yeah, I say dirty hit. Yeah, Drury is coming into the zone, and it's clear that, like, like Neil sees him kind of – yeah, he lines him up. Like, he – if you really watch it, like, if you follow Neil past the blue line – yeah, to me, that's what made it even more egregious to me, Joe, was he knew where, where he wanted to go. Like, to your point of being late, it's almost like he targeted him. And I think that's what the Sabres were upset about, right? He targeted him. It wasn't just a, a, a random hit. He went after him. Look where he is when he kind of makes a right-hand turn, right? You watch Neil. Mm-hmm. Neil is at the top of the face-off circle. He takes a right-hand turn to go and hit Drury after Drury releases the puck. Yep. And I know at the time that that wasn't against the rule where you could – you if you hit – the head, but you did it with the shoulder, and they don't think you were targeting the head, then you could get away with that. But like today's game, that is going to be probably a five minute major because you, the main point of contact was the head, right? Like, even if you didn't get your elbow up and maybe you weren't targeting it, whatever, you hit the head, you hit the head. That's, that's, you know, a problem. And he totally hits Drury in the head, even if the rule was a little bit different then. All right. So, who's on the ice after the hit? Is that Stafford? I see a twenty-one. Right, Stafford, Stafford. is on the ice. It really okay. actually. Th- this is funny. Like who on the ice could have, or would have been better to step in? Um, Ludman's on there. Yeah, like I know Michael Ryan is out there. You don't want that. Actually, if you see Michael Ryan and Ludman, 
they are both kind of being held back by other mm-hmm. senators because when they realize, hey, the rookie is the one that's fighting Chris Neal right now, I think they realize they should get in and help, but by then they're being grabbed. It's too late. But, right. yeah. Okay, so at, at that point, and that's the Chris Neal line. So back then, I mean, that line, of course you have your third line, fourth line, guys like that. It was way different back then, which is a part of what I want to get into today later. But so Neil's on the ice. That's the, I guess, the checking line, right? You want to call it that? The checking line? Uh, like that's his line that's out there. No? Spezza's out there. Okay, that's maybe, right. Maybe they're in the middle of a line change because I don't think you normally saw Spezza. Or am I Neil. just thinking of Neil as a guy that maybe would have been on that line, but he normally wasn't no, actually? No, he would have been on like a third or a fourth line. I think maybe. Okay. Right. Spezza's out there, but they could have just been like end of a shift type of thing. Okay. So now the Sabres get, now they go to break. They, they tend to jury, they take them off. It's a home game for the Sabres. They get their last, you know, who you want to put on the ice. Mm-hmm. I've always felt, okay, and I guess this has to be true, right, that Brian Murray, the coach of the centers at the time, had to know what was coming, and yet he still chose to put his top line out there, I guess to either challenge Lindy Ruff to actually do it or to protect his guys because he thought Lindy wouldn't do it. Would that make sense? I think what he probably did was he thought he was neutralizing the situation by he puts oh. his skilled guys out there. The, oh, nothing's going to happen here. He's not going to – my guys aren't going to get involved in anything, so there's not going to be two willing combatants, so nothing's going to happen here. I, I think that's what he was probably thinking. Or maybe he just naively thought that it wasn't mm. as bad as it was and it would just not – Nothing would happen? I don't know what he... Okay. I I think otherwise. I think Brian Murray, who had been a coach for a a long time in the league, Lindy actually worked for him in Florida before this all happened. I think Brian Murray does it to basically kind of challenge Lindy and make Lindy look bad if he goes after these guys. Saying, you're not going to do it. If you do, you're the bad guy here, not me. Maybe. I I don't know that he would have... How often was that happening? Like, full-fledged brawls going after star players like that's something like if you go I'm young for that so I'm not going to know perfectly but I don't know whenever I go on YouTube and like back in the day wanted to watch like hockey brawls they're Mm -hmm. all in the late 90s they're all in the well they're in the 80s too of course you had the bench clears and before that but you've got a ton in the 90s and I don't see much of that happening I don't remember a lot of stuff on that level when I'm growing up as a kid, so maybe Murray thought that that type of thing just wouldn't happen because it was 2007, and in 2007 you didn't see that that often. It's really interesting. One of the topics I wanted to ask you today, and I'll just ask it now since you are going there. Would this happen today, the way it went down? What would it look like today? It would. That's a good question. Well, you probably wouldn't have... I mean, you wouldn't have a full line of guys that you would feel like can drop the gloves, I'm guessing. Um, So I don't know. You might have one guy whose job it is to go out there and kind of go after someone and respond to it. I I don't feel like it would look the same, though. I I think it would... I don't know. It, you might have you know, a Peters. Because you, you might wouldn't have, have one the roster there. to have it the same, right? You, yeah. The rosters are constructed differently. You didn't have... I mean, Andrew Peters is a friend of mine. I don't know if he has a spot in today's NHL, right? Let's be honest. He has a spot in twenty t- in two thousand seven. Right. Well, there's right. There's not guys like that in the league today. Like, well, let's put right. use the Sabers for this. The Sabers are not, you know, the biggest team. They're they're actually, by the way, not the smallest team. They're kind of average, but they're the youngest team. So 
you might not think they have the personnel for something like this. By the way, I don't really think any team in the league really does. All right, the same exact situation happens. Say the Sabres are good, so they actually would be even more willing to defend you know, their captain, and their captain gets blindsided like that. They're putting Jordan Greenway on the ice, and I might trust uh-huh. Jordan Greenway would do something, and I don't really know Ooh, if I have two okay. more names for you. Okay, okay. What, do you, when's the last time something like this happened? Now, maybe there's been a time since. The last time I can think of anything like this is Miller getting run by Lucic, and it had to be Paul Gostad who had to come over the boards the next game. Well, he was. Remember, part of that. Part of that was that Gossett was on the ice when Lucic uh, hit Miller and didn't do anything, and then that was part of the controversy. Um, mm-hmm. But no, right there, there wasn't guys out there. I on a much like you know what this look looks like more so uh, today is remember the Heritage Classic when Austin Matthews got suspended because he tried to decapitate yeah. Rasmus Dahlin with a crossjack. Yep. You didn't get a fight right after what you got. Where you didn't have, you know, dropping the gloves and you just go after him immediately. What you had was Dylan Cousins picking his spot and waiting for the right moment and then clobbering Austin Matthews across the middle. That's what. That's usually what you get now. I think. I actually went back this morning and looked like what I, I just typed in like NHL brawl, and there's not much over the last few years. There was this one between Ottawa and Florida last year. It wasn't Florida, even anything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, they there was a brawl, like there was a late hit on a goalie or something, and they kind of there was a couple guys who went at it. There was a bunch of penalties. It was nothing like this, right? This yeah. is this was different. That, I, I, yeah, I think that the way rosters are constructed and how things go down now, much much differently how this would have happened. All right, so Murray puts his top line out, and we played it earlier. Let's go, Josh. I want you to, if you can. Play when we realize what Lindy Ruff did and how he responded. Because that's where, and I want you to cut it off there because you hear the crowd react. Go ahead. But in any event, Neil and Stafford each end up with five minute penalties. And now the Sabres sending out. Now we've got pushing and shoving going before the puck is ever dropped between Heatley and Coletta. Okay, that was it. Sorry, it was a little before that I wanted, which is fine. The guys he sent over the boards. Peters, Coletta, and Mare, right, Joe? Yeah. Right? Who else is on the ice here? You've got Ludman and Talinder on the blue line. You do hear the crowd, though, start to yes. get a rise, and I think that is – I think you can hear there when they realize, oh, man, Peters is out there. Mare's uh-huh. out there. Here comes Coletta. And then pretty quickly, I mean, Coletta's not – Coletta, by the way, is not on the ice for two seconds before Heatley, like, gives him a little push because I'm sure he ran him earlier in the game probably. Yeah, so – Right before they face off, you hear RJ say it. There's a little pushing and shoving between Coletta and Heatley, and they kind of back off on each other. Then they line back up, and what happens right away? This is when all heck breaks loose because they go back to it right away, and now it's basically full-on, let's go after these guys. There was no intent by Sabres players whatsoever to track the puck once it was basically dropped. And there was by Senators players, which is, again, to me, I go back to how did they not think anything was going to happen here? And even when Brian Murray saw what the Sabres were doing, like maybe, I don't know, take a timeout, get those guys off the ice. That's why I feel like Brian Murray was almost challenging Lindy to say, you won't do that and you'll be the bad guy. Because he still left his guys out. There's nothing he can do in in the moment except call a timeout. Mm -hmm. But they had no intention, no intention of going after the puck once it was dropped. No. No, like Heatley's playing the puck. Like he actually points to the ref for a penalty. After Peters like grabs him, 
Like, he, he thinks nothing of it. And that, to me, is more of an indication that even back then, I know that was 17 years ago, stuff like that was not happening. And that would have caught everyone by surprise. It would have caught me by surprise. I never saw... The reason it's so special for me is because it's the only one like that in my life. I don't remember Barnaby and Ray and, and Brad May going after the Flyers in, like, the 97 playoffs. Like, I don't rem- I I know those videos, but I don't remember that. I think Murray truly didn't think it was going to happen because it never happened. Probably right. So they start pushing and shoving. These guys go after him. Now, what the TV broadcast doesn't show is the initial fight. Now, maybe there's another angle. Maybe there's another thing. But right Mm -hmm. away, I mean, Mayer is just cross-checking. Just cross-checking. I think Spezza, right? He's cross-checking Spezza as soon as the puck is dropped. And then that's when you hear... RJ say what he said was, you know, going after him. And that's when the TV camera shows Peter seeing what's happening and then rushing over there, right? I mean, so Peters gets involved, but the first thing that happens actually is Adam Mayer going after Spezza after the faceoff. You don't see it on the main feed. In fact, if you, like, the video I have is like the seven minute, whatever, uh, one on YouTube. And at the end of it, after everything is done, there is a replay angle of Mayer going after Spezza, and it sticks with Mayer. And he almost undoubtedly, I think, lands the cleanest punches, maybe the cleanest wow. four punches of that fight because he is he's he's getting Spezza. Like, he's doing exactly what he set out to do. And I've heard Peter say this on, even the Sabres did a Beyond Blue and Gold a couple years yes, ago on this. A, he I like Jeremy was in there. Yeah. He has said his biggest regret was not staying with Heatley because he had Heatley and all of the linesmen and refs went over to where Mayer, who had started a dog pile on top of Spezza, and Peters has, I've I've heard him say, like, he could have just had Heatley, like, to all to himself. And then, of course, you had, then right away, Marty goes out to challenge it. I don't know who, like, do we know, do we ever have an angle of, was it Marty who just, you know, kind of, left his crease to go towards Emery, I've, or was it Emery who did something to do that? They, no. they both met at center ice, but do we know? I don't know. I've never I've, – I've seen the Ottawa feed of it and replays there and replays on the MSG feed. I've never seen – I've never seen personally an angle of that shows the two goalies before they're, like, already taking off their equipment. And then they start obviously going at it, and that's a, that's a tough one for Marty, and he knows that. He's said it. Emery was literally a fighter. Like, he had boxing training. And the late Ray Emery, by the way, who has since passed away. But uh, Emery, he's getting the better of Marty, but he also lets him off the hook. Marty's down on the ice. Emery could have started pounding him. He didn't. And then I just showed this this morning to Max, actually. And I said, now watch what happens. Because now you see something you never see happen. And that is Andrew Peters going after Ray Emery. Mm -hmm. A, A skater actually just going after a goalie while the two goalies were, you know, fighting off their own. Mm-hmm. You never see that happen. There was a, a clip back in the day, people remember, Matt Barnaby got kind of hit by, and we all know in Buffalo, Billy Smith hit Lindy Ruff. Lindy goes after Billy Smith, the Islanders, back in the 80s. Same thing, uh, Barnaby goes after the Philly goalie. But usually that's because they did something to him. This was, Peters just said, I'm going after Ray Emery. You never see that. Yeah. The the Barnaby one, you might be thinking of a different one. Oh, there's two. Because you're thinking of what? He, he like, starts pummeling Garth Snow? Um, yes, there, I believe that's the one, yes. There's another one in the late 90s against Vancouver where Hashik got run, 
and Barnaby, while the puck, like he dumps it into the corner, and while everyone is going after the puck in the corner, he just goes and checks Sean Burke in the goal and then starts like a brawl there. So that happened, you know, a couple times, I think, with him. The Ottawa feed, I don't even know if it's the Ottawa feed, it's the Sportsnet feed. That That's also available on YouTube. And mm-hmm. if you watch that one, you get the, again, like the maybe the Senators broadcasters, and when Peters grabs Emery, they go, oh no, this is not right. Someone from the Senators needs to help out their goaltender. And they say it again, <laughs> which is a take, by the way, that you don't often think of, because we always think of it from the Buffalo end of things, but... If I'm a Senators fan watching that, I'm going, how in the world is no one on my team stepping in to defend the goalie who is fighting their toughest guy? Yeah. And 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 the Sabres broadcast, RJ says, this is really going to get ugly now. And I, actually, I, I think that's absolutely just for the simple fact that you have a skater going after a goalie. Right? Because RJ, yeah. he's been doing this a long time. He's never seen that. Right, he's never seen these guys. And then uh, during a during an all out, everybody's kind of tangling and grappling, and the two goalies. He's never seen that. It's kind of an unwritten code, right? The skater doesn't go after the goalie. So RJ says this is really going to get ugly now, and I think that's directly reflected. Yeah. And yeah. he's saying that because Peters is going after Emery. Right. He might have right in his voice even or known thought there that like, oh, here comes another phase of the brawl because what are the Senators going to do? Yes. What, would you, what would you expect? You grab their goaltender. I mean, you breathe on a goaltender, even now, but back then especially, you breathe on a goalie and you're expecting to get hit, right? And there, you're literally throwing bombs at them and nobody's reacting. I mean, some of that too, though, is maybe that's where Murray you know, would regret who he put out there because he's got Spezza, Heatley, and Comrie out there on the ice. Like, you don't have guys out there... That are ready to step in and defend the goalie. The only guy that might have done it was Chris Phillips, but I think he was still tied up with Coletta by that point. All right, so then, to finish it, you got the two coaches yelling at each other, and this is a guy who worked for Brian Murray. Lindy Ruff had worked for Brian Murray. He was an assistant with him in Florida uh, in the 90s before he got the Sabres job. And he's going at it, and of course you hear the, the F-bombs get dropped, and we've you know beeped those out when we've played it. I my one regret every time I watch it is Lindy tripping and not being able to stay on the bench. I wish yeah. he was standing up on the bench, but he fell and he couldn't. So he came from a, a you know a down position looking up while Murray's looking down at him. I always wish Lindy would have stayed on the bench and it would have been them both both pointing over the glass to each other. Yep, I think he got injured too, doing that. Like oh, cut, really? cut himself or something. I feel like I remember that being told somewhere. Um, yeah, the the that. Yelling match back and forth, really, to you hear the crowd get a rise right. like that was that was pretty pretty great. That's that's Lindy, right? That's just Lindy being the best. So, what those aside from the game itself, that game, what I think might get lost here, and I don't, I think you might know this. They played two nights later. These two teams. Yep. They played two nights later, and what the centers did, they brought some fighter up. Who was it? I don't even know. Brian McGrath. I don't remember the guy. Brian McGrath. Thank you, Brian McGrath. He 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 actually does get a fight in the next game. Yeah, Yeah. he was on the team, but he was healthy scratch the brawl night. Okay, that's right. So they they activate him. Yep. And we're all wondering what is going to happen like and there was I think there was a dust up maybe in pregame. Nothing really happened of it. But sure enough, if you look at the box score from February 24th, two days later, two nights later, 
There's a penalty to Pominville at 5.59 of the first period, but nothing. And then Neal gets a slashing. Neal has a roughing. Phillips has a And then there's a hooking, hooking. But then but nothing happens. And then you go to the second period, fighting with Peters, fighting with McGratton, unsportsmanlike conduct mm-hmm. with Comrie, unsportsmanlike conduct with Derek Roy, fighting with Adam Mayer, roughing with Neal, fighting with Neal. So they went at it. It took to the second period, but two days later, they went at it again. And that was... Do you remember the build-up to that second game? I remember it. It was off the charts. Like, oh, my God, what is going to happen with these two teams yep. the, the next time they play? Yep. I did not know, uh, which Jeremy told this morning, that the <laughs> Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser were were saying that the NHL should postpone the game because oh there was God. going to be too much blood or whatever, like that the game shouldn't happen that quickly after the fact. I did not know that. Um, did what, you also know, Joe? Yeah. The second night was Marty Biron's last game in a Sabres uniform. I did know that. Yes, I saw that earlier. He was traded. He was traded. So I've always thought, like, and again, we we could talk to Marty. He'll be on uh, at noon on Sabres Live. I want to ask Marty something. I never asked him. Like, we all kind of knew Marty was getting traded that year at the trade deadline. That was kind of known. It was said his contract's (laughs) expiring. Like, he wasn't going to come back. Like, they could get something for him. Was being in that brawl part of, hey, man, I love this team. I love this logo. I'm going out. I'm going to do whatever I can here, knowing this might be it for him anyway, and he's just going to he's gonna go after Ray Emery. You know what I mean? Not yeah. just the fight itself, but knowing all the circumstances surrounding his individual situation. Yep. They were, uh, they were showcasing him, I think, a little bit probably at that, uh, at that time. They knew a trade was coming. The, um, he drops Emery, too. That was. I wonder uh, if he. I've, I haven't heard him on this, and we'll. I'm sure hear him plenty on this over the next couple of days. If he thought that was risky at all, because the fight was kind of over, and then, you know, there's no one around him. Emery could have just got right back up and started swinging again. Right. Yeah. He. Yeah. I thought Emery could have really pounded him when he was on him, and then when he started to get up, Emery, um, Marty kind of tripped him up a little that's bit. That's part of the code, too. Like Once you're down on the ice, like you, yep, you can't keep feeding right. the guy right. So like Emery would have known that's that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they did play the next night. The Sabres did win that game uh, that we're talking about, the first game. What happened here? How did they win? They won... It was a shootout, was it? Overtime, They right? won in the a shootout. Time, the first game. Yeah. They I, won a shootout. By the way, I only know this game so uh, detailed because I had it on VHS forever, uh, recorded and would watch it back like every offseason at least. They won. Stafford scored a great shootout goal, and then Miller made an incredible glove save on Mike Fisher, and they won the game like maybe 6-5, to 7-6 in a shootout. 6-5. Uh, uh, yeah, let's see. and then 6-5. 7-6 is game one in, in 06. So right. 6-5, I think. Um, I'm not sure. What is this, a shootout? Looks like they won. No, they scored. Let's see. Sabres scored one, two, three, four. Yeah, you're right. They Definitely did go to shootout. shootout. I'm Definitely sorry. Shootout, yeah. I don't have the uh, the right box score up here. But they lost the next game, right? They go to Ottawa that two nights later, and I think Ottawa yep. beats them in that game. Yes, that one was six five two. I'm looking right now. So you got a lot of goals two between the two. All right, so we have one down. We got one more to go here. I want to talk about Miracle on Ice because I was seven, and you know what, Joe? Did you know the game wasn't even live in the United States at the time? Mm-hmm. Like it was on tape delay. People kind of knew. So. I don't remember it. I was seven years old. You weren't around then. Maybe people do. Uh, got a message from somebody who wanted to share their story about watching Miracle on Ice. So we'll do that when we come back and want your stories as well. We got Paul Hamilton coming up just before the top of the hour. Josh Reed from Channel 4 WIVB is going to join us at 11.05. We're going to talk Bills, 
Combine next week. Some Gabe Davis stuff that was very weird for me yesterday on social media. I'll get into that as well. Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Jody Biasi. It is the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. Give us a call. Your memories. Sabres Brawl, Miracle on Ice. RJ, man, we miss him so much. Love you, RJ. Amazing. You just you, you, you go back and it really is, Joe. A lot of the a lot of the greatest calls from RJ are the fights, right? We know LaFontaine's calls and May Day, but man, I find myself sometimes just YouTubing Sabres fights with RJ on the call. It's amazing. Oh yeah, me too, for sure. It's how I know, like I, I'm aware that there's just a random Vancouver brawl at the end of the '90s, just because <laughs> I've definitely done the searching for those. Yeah. Well, today's the anniversary of the Sabre Senators Brawl 2007. Believe it or not, it's been already 17 years since then. It's been 44 years. Today is also the anniversary of the famed Miracle on Ice hockey game, the United States against the Soviet Union. Bunch of young kids. My favorite Sabre player ever, Mike Ramsey, on that team, a defenseman for the Miracle on Ice team, came to the Sabres right after that. There was so much more surrounding it and all the geopolitical stuff that was involved back in the 70s and the 80s. Do yourself a favor. Go read about it. Just kind of you know read up on the history of everything that's surrounded. It's not just about the game and those kids not having a chance against the famed Russians, the Soviet Union. It really is all that was encompassing there. But it was, it was just an amazing time period. I was seven years old. Joe wasn't around yet. Mm-hmm. I, t- I tweeted a video earlier today to say, hey, give me a comment on what you remember about both the brawl or Miracle on Ice, give us a call. And answering that signal was our guy down in Florida, Buccaneers sideline reporter T.J. Reeves, who says, I got a story for you guys. My man, what is going on? Thanks for uh, calling and sharing. It's great to be with you, and you did a tremendous job of socially teasing and calling to action for people to come forward. And I am testifying on the mighty WGR that I'm answering the call. And you know, more times than not, I deliver the goods, Sal. Sneaky well, you better you hear know I deliver the goods. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to disappoint go. with this story. So you ready? Okay. Yeah. I am 10-year-old TJ living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. For those not geographically familiar, that's about 90 minutes north of Atlanta, Georgia, in the eastern part of Tennessee, right by the North Carolina border. So I am elementary school TJ. And my father instilled in me, he was a huge basketball fan. So the Atlanta Hawks are not far. They're 90 minutes away to the south. So we had intended to go down to Atlanta and did to watch the Atlanta Hawks play Friday night, February the 22nd, 1980 basketball game with the Phoenix Suns. So I am in the Omni Arena in downtown Atlanta as a 10-year-old TJ, and I was aware that the U.S. was playing the Russians last night, but the, uh, that night. But the wild thing is I also knew, because they had been talking about it, that it was not going to be on live. Mm-hmm. They were playing right. at 5 p.m. in the afternoon, and the game was going to be shown tape delay on ABC. Again, this is hard to fathom. No internet. Cable's brand new. And so the game is not going to be on live. So we're in the arena for Hawks, Phoenix Suns. And these names aren't going to mean anything uh, really in the present day, but they were a bigger deal. I mean, the Hawks had Tree Rollins, John Drew. They were not a championship team. The Phoenix Suns had Paul Westfall, 
Larry Bird and Magic Johnson had both just come to the NBA. That's their rookie season. This is February of 1980. So we're in the arena, and the announcer comes on the PA, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now, 44 years later. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, we have an update from Lake Placid, New York. In the Winter Olympics hockey game, the United States leads the Soviet Union 3-2, to two, and the place erupts. Some of it was, you know, shouting, clapping, et cetera. So the game is going on it's like, the, like the beginning of the game, because keep in mind, the hockey game started at 5 o'clock, and so this is probably middle of the first quarter. The hockey game is ending, and mm-hmm. the United States has won the game, which we don't know. There's no Internet. There's no cell phones. You don't have a way to know this sitting in the arena until the PA announcer comes on during a dead ball stoppage, like the ball goes out of bounds, and he comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, we have an update with a final score from Lake Placid, New York, in the Winter Olympics, the United States 4, the Soviet Union 3. I'm not exaggerating. The entire arena, there's probably eight, ten thousand 10,000 people there, not a sellout night. The entire arena erupts, stands up, and starts a 60-second standing ovation in the Omni in Atlanta. The fans are clapping all around. The players and the officials, I vividly remember this, are clapping, standing on the floor. The game is stopped for everybody to cheer in the Omni in Atlanta, the announcement of the score. And so I I obviously, 44 years later, have never forgotten that. I don't think I will ever forget where I was in that moment. And the craziest thing is, you didn't have a way to see this. We were we were there in the arena. The game the game is going on while ABC is showing the replay. We didn't own a VCR, guys. There's no way there's no way to tape right. it. The only thing we knew is they had won, and you saw like a highlight on the late local news. ESPN is brand new, by the way. ESPN had only come in in September of 1979, about six months earlier. So you cut on ESPN, and they maybe showed you a highlight or two. But to be able to see the entire game, it didn't exist if you weren't there watching it live on ABC or had a way to, to tape it on VHS. That's amazing. So, because, Joe, my, Joe, if this happens today, memory. you know what everybody's doing? You're pulling out your phones and watching the end of it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> but none of that existed. So how did I do on my quick two-minute story on where I was? Because, good Lord, that's amazing. No, you did great. It's, an, and it's awesome. And there had to be a USA chant that broke out, right? USA, yeah. USA. They had to do that, too, I'm sure. Yes, they're going USA, USA clapping. And, again, you're talking about Paul Westfall of the Phoenix Suns was yeah. an all-star at that time. They're all standing on the court clapping in the middle of the first quarter of the That's NBA amazing. game. The referees are clapping. The entire arena, the game stopped for 60 seconds. So I thought I would just share that on a where were you then from 44 years ago tonight. Love it, buddy. Love it. Thanks a lot. Awesome. We'll catch up down the road. Talk uh, NFL offseason. Thank you for Whenever the story. You need me. Do it. But I had to. <laughs> I had to respond to the call to action about Miracle on Ice forty-four years ago. Incredible stuff. You guys. And how it. about? And how about? Uh, you're a play-by-play guy. Joe and I were talking. How about Al Michaels, buddy? Al Michaels. How about that? Al Michaels had never done hockey before that tournament. Al Michaels wow. had never done hockey until ABC said, "Do you think you can do hockey?" Holy <laughs> cow! Incredible. That's great. Incredible to go back and relive all of that. And, by the way, the biggest misconception is that didn't win the gold medal. They had to still go ahead and beat Finland on Sunday to win the gold medal, which they did. Just an incredible, 
incredible time. Man, all time like really needed to pull that one out because the story is a lot better given that they won the gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And by the way, they were losing the gold medal game two to yes. one. In this in this Sunday gold medal game, and came from behind to win that. Just, so uh, and that's why they've made multiple movies. The Kurt Russell yeah. movie, who by the way is dead on as Herb Brooks in that movie, the Miracle movie. But they made two or three of them. Yeah, they made two or three movies. That's why there's documentaries. It's that incredible. Thank you for letting me share that. I'll let you boys get on with what you're doing with more memories about the Miracle on Ice. Thanks, TJ. Always appreciate you, buddy. We'll catch up. See you, boys. Joe. It, yeah. yeah thank you, Joe. It. I mean, honestly, if that happens now, you're pulling out your phone or you're running to a TV in the arena, right? I mean, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm turning. I mean, I'm I'm watching it probably from the get go. But if I wasn't, yeah. I would have I would have been putting it on right. immediately after the not only the game after the like, good thing they they clinched the gold medal against Finland, but I only found out about this a couple of years ago that there was like a weird format then. That it wasn't like a gold semifinal to a gold medal game. It was like whoever had the most points at the fi- end of the final round was the team that actually won. So, correct. I, I think this is right, but there was an outcome going into that third game. The Soviet U.S. game was second, where the Soviets still could have won the gold medal after losing to the U.S. and especially that. Good thing they finished the job because if the story was the U.S. upset the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union ended up winning the gold medal anyway, then the whole story would have been so much worse, I think. I have never heard this, that they could still win the gold. I knew the yeah. U.S. still had to win one more game. I didn't hear the other part of it, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was um, so final round. Yeah. Uh, the top two teams from each group play played in, uh, played the top two teams from the other group once. Points from previous games against their own group carried over which excluded teams who failed to make the medal round. First place with points at the end of the final round won the gold. The U.S. had five points after three games. They went 2-0-1. The Soviet Union went 2-1. So, yeah, going into that Finland game, it would have been the U.S. had three points, and the Soviet Union had uh, would have had also three points. No, they would have had one point. So... Hold on, I just did that wrong. They, sorry, they would have had two points. Going in the final game, U.S. would have had three, Soviet Union would have had two. So if the U.S. lost to Finland, actually, then the Soviet Union would have won the gold medal. Now, we have Paul Hamilton standing by, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see. Paul, I know Paul's probably listening. I wonder if we would move you, Paul, to 1130. We have Josh Reed at 1105, because Paul has a really interesting story about 1980 himself. And I want to talk about that along with the Sabres. So I want to give them more time instead of just doing it in the next like five minutes after we come from break. So love these stories today. And I know we got some people lining up. They want to share theirs as well. 803-0550 is the number to call. We'll do that. All right. Paul's going to join us at 1130. We'll get his, uh, his a personal connection to the 1980 Miracle on Ice team. And of course, the Sabres had a nice win last night up in Montreal. We got Josh Reed at 1105 and we'll take your phone calls on the brawl and Miracle on Ice and whatever else is on your mind on WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Joe DiBiase. Extra Point Show on this February 22nd. A lot of anniversaries. The one we haven't touched on yet. You guys did a little bit this morning. This was also the date that Terry Pagula had his um, press conference, his introductory press conference when he bought the Buffalo Sabres. Is that correct, Joe? Yep, yep. 13 years ago. Nope. Wait. Yeah, 13 years ago today. 13 years ago. Very emotional press conference at that time, obviously. Um, and things haven't worked out quite, you know, as Terry Pagula or the fans of the Buffalo Sabres had hoped. But uh, that was the anniversary. Today was the anniversary for that. Today's the anniversary of... Miracle on Ice, 44 years ago, 1980. It's also the anniversary of the Sabres Senators Brawl from 2007. Taking your memories on all of that at 8030550. Josh Reed's going to join us at 11.05 a.m. Um, back to the Miracle on Ice a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone tweeted, and it was live, like on Chan- Channel 5, CBC Channel 5. Well, yeah, I don't think it was live here in the United States, though. Right, I mean, says uh, MAF43 on Twitter says, Sal, the 80 Olympic game was live in this area. Okay, if you had cable or an antenna, it was being shown live on CBC Channel Five. All right, hmm. I could I could probably get with that. I mean, but it wasn't live on American television though. Right, but it would have been for some people, just depending on where you live. He's I saying guess. if you got CBC, which is a Canadian station CBC. here in Buffalo, so here you might have. Right here, you might have, but it wasn't shown. It was right. It wasn't shown live uh, on TV here in the United States. So people knew. Some people knew what happened. Some people they did watch it on tape delay and didn't find out until after it happened. You know what the situation was. So I think some people actually caught wind. And then of course you got a story like TJ where maybe you're in arena or you're somewhere else, and you know people say what happened. So. A lot of good memories on that. If you want to share them, go right ahead. We're going to talk with Josh Reed about the Bills and the Combine. That's coming up next week. And just want to set it up for everybody. We will hear from Sean McDermott next Monday late afternoon from Indianapolis. uh, Around 4, in the 4 o'clock hour, I believe. That's when he will talk to media. And then Brandon Bean will be on Wednesday, I think, late morning, early afternoon. I got to check the time on that. But we will hear from both of them. Interesting thing happened yesterday, Joe. You know, sometimes you, you tweet something out, you put something out there, and you, you don't really intend for it to be a big deal, and it becomes a really big deal. That kind of happened to me yesterday, and it still is something I'm going back and forth with some people. Here's what I tweeted. I wrote, I can tell you 100% Gabe Davis would love to stay in Buffalo, and there's no doubt the Bills would love to keep him. This feels very much a situation where there is want to on both sides, but very tough to do for each. I believe they'll still try to make it work, but it will be tough. 
Now, I can't tell you how many people have pushed back and said, nope, there's no way they both want to be together because they both know they can't. Those are two completely separate things, and I actually address that. But people, there are people in my mentions, and maybe you feel the same, that the Bills actually don't want Dave, Gabe Davis back because Brandon Bean kind of knows he'll, so he doesn't want him back. And Gabe Davis doesn't want to come back to Buffalo. I'm going to stick to my guns and say what I know because I know the situation. They would both love to have a reunion. They both also know it probably can't happen. Well, wants wants him back to be what, though? To be in the same role the he's, he's been playing the sure. last two years? Sure. Because to yeah. me, if, I, if, this is, if I'm Brandon Bean, like if I sign Gabe Davis, this is to me where the big – I think this is a bigger holdup than the money. It would be – you know, if if there is a plan to get better at that position, and Bean said in his post game, his postseason uh, press conference that he thought, you know, big reason the Diggs production went down is the defenses were able to focus in on him more, and he'd like to improve that area. And a lot of that is with Gabe Davis on the field. I I would think that the biggest hiccup between Davis coming back is the Bills asking him, "Are you okay with going to the bench?" Because if we draft a guy in the first or the second round, and he's great, you know, it's about a 70% hit rate in the first round the last couple of years, but let's say it's 50-50. There's a 50-50 shot. This guy we pick is going to be really good. And if that happens, you're not a full-time starter anymore. Are you okay with that? Because if if that's the deal, and Gabe Davis is okay with essentially going back to being a number 4 receiver like he was in his first two years, then I'm cool with it. That's, to me, though, where I get very hung up on him coming back is, are the Bills okay going to him with that? And are the Bill is Davis welcome, welcoming coming back, knowing a rookie could steal your job, and even in year one? It's a good thought. Some people said the same thing you did, so maybe I could have phrased it differently, but I never thought of that angle from it. Um, I just know the, the reverence this organization has for him mm-hmm. and what he means to them, and the fact that he's been on the field more than any other receiver the last two years, I don't think he'd have much of a reduced role. I think they love him being on the field because he's such a well, good run blocker. Yeah. And, can do, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I don't know if they would take him off the field as much as you're saying. But that's what I mean then. If you're, but if you're doing that, if you're bringing him back to have the same role, that's all the snaps. There's, there's no more room for another receiver. At least and not like one playing Unless you take Diggs off the role. field like he had been a little bit late in the year. Right. And at that point, I don't know. Like th- At that point... I'm basically I'm I'm taking my number one receiver's workload down. Like I'm basically starting to wind down on the digs usage, and I I don't know how does that sound to people mm-hmm. right now. That would be basically Davis is back as your number two receiver, on, or at least your other outside receiver. And do I have room for I, I I think you are then blocking the development, almost like a hockey you know terminology. I'm blocking the development of a young receiver if I've got Gabe Davis back. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the conversation about if they run so much 12 personnel, you're blocking having your better player on the field, which is Khalil Shakir, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's very similar to that. Like, are there are there enough snaps for right. the guy to develop properly? and Or even if the guy is just good right away, then what am I looking at? I, I'm, that's a good problem to have. But that's to me where the conversation with Davis would have to be, and maybe with Diggs too, to get everyone in the room and say, like it, it, that Davis more so because he's got to you know sign a contract. Is if we want to draft a young receiver and the guy's really good, 
you know, mm-hmm. we're looking around the room. Someone's getting their snaps reduced. It's a great point. Let's talk with Josh Reed about it. He'll be at the Combine next week. CBS, WIVB-TV here in Buffalo. He'll go with us after this timeout here on the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.TV. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. You're listening to the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Joe DiBiase. Brought to you by Northtown Automotive. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at Northtown. Shop online at NorthtownAuto.com. Pocket collapsing. Has to roll out to his right to buy time. Looking downfield. He's got Gabe Davis over the shoulder. Caught at the 15. And he drives his way into the end zone for the touchdown. Wow! Gabe Davis, one of his bigger catches last year, inconsistent year. I think that's been kind of the story of his tenure in Buffalo. Whether that ends or not, it might over the next month. Free agency begins. Well, you can start talking to potential free agents March 11th. That's when the window opens, March 11th, a little earlier this year. March 13th is when a a player and a team can actually you know, agree to a new contract and sign. So we'll see what happens. In the meantime, a lot of that stuff starts to happen around the combine. Agents are there. Front office personnel are there. Teams start talking. You know, I remember last year, last year at the combine was when it became known that we all kind of realized that Tremaine Edmonds was going to get paid. Like he's going to get a big contract and it's very unlikely the Bills will resign him. And this situation feels very similar to me with Gabe Davis, to be quite honest with you, which is I think we all kind of recognize Gabe's going to get more than what the Bills, A, are willing to pay, or B, should pay, right? Let's be honest. Um, But, to me, the Bills would still love to have Gabe Davis on their roster if they could. I think he means a lot to them, what he's done. He's You can't convince me that Brandon Bean is lying, as some people have basically said, and the Twitter post I mentioned earlier in um, the replies. You can't convince me he's lying about saying we'd love to have him back, about the guy who's literally won the hardest worker award over the last two off-seasons and was named a team captain. Now, you can convince me, and I would be fully on board with saying, but you know what? we got to do something different at wide receiver. That doesn't mean we can't have him on the roster. And that's where basically the want to and the can you do and will it be worth it and the value meet. And that's why it's pretty unlikely. And now we'll go to the combine next week. We'll see how it shakes out. We'll see how it shakes out over the next month with free agency around the corner. Joining us on the Western Hotline and the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show is Josh Reed, sports director at WIVB-TV, Channel 4 CBS in Buffalo. Do you think I laid that out right, Josh, about Gabe? Like, Do you think that's where it is for you and when it comes to him and the team? Yeah, I think we're pretty aligned on the thought behind Gabe Davis and the situation that Brandon Bean and the Bills are in currently. I mean, look, if they had a stack full of cash that they could hand out, I think Gabe would likely be getting it from the Bills. I just do. I think that 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 seems to fit what Brandon Bean would like to do. And I I honestly believe Gabe would like to come back to the Bills. I fault Gabe for also wanting his first ever 
legit wide receiver payday either. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's made, I don't know, under $6 million in his first four seasons total. I mean, wow, he's made, he's made $3 million less than Tyler Bass has in his first four seasons. That's to take nothing away from Tyler Bass, but we're talking about a guy who has made some significant plays in, in Bill's games. And yeah, I think that I think at the end of the day, it the numbers just probably aren't going to match up. That doesn't mean that Brandon and the Bills wouldn't like to have him back, and it doesn't mean that Gabe doesn't want and have like a part of his heart and mind, you know, wanting to come back. But at the end of the day, both sides have got to do what's best, and we've heard Brandon say that. And you can't fault Gabe for going and getting his pay. Go go get it. And That's at right. the end of the day, I think it's probably best for both sides if that's the way it plays out. I think that a lot of the wide receiver discussion also has to include Stefan Diggs, not whether he's here or not or he wants out. I mean, I guess that's a, a thing that people want to talk about. I just wonder about what the production, like what is his role? What is his production? And if you do, which we, we presumably think, Josh, that you do lose Gabe Davis, if Stefan Diggs doesn't get back to what he was, which I don't know, is he going to? I think he can. I think he might. I mean, we're looking at a really, really challenging situation at that position because now you might be relying on rookies and undrafted free agents and guys off the street to take big roles. Yes, and I would always go back to the idea that that's where having an elite quarterback comes in. If you draft a young guy, not only is it on the coaching staff to develop him, it's up to Josh Allen to develop him. I mean, that's on him. That's on making sure you get the most out of, out of whoever you draft. And look, sometimes you're going to draft a guy and it just doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't matter who you have at quarterback. It just it falls through. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's on Josh. That's why you have an elite quarterback. Look, I mean, the, the best of the best quarterbacks, they take good receivers and make them very good. And they take very good receivers and make them great. I mean, we've seen it in the past with, I mean, name the quarterback. We we currently we see it with Patrick Mahomes. You know, we saw it with Tom Brady for two decades. So I mean, it that, that's kind of that's that's on Josh to him for him to make all these guys a bit better. But to circle kind of back to to Stephon Diggs, it is really worrisome the the fall off that he had at the end mm-hmm. of the season. I mean, very worrisome. Um, and the idea that he was taking himself out kind of you know, periodically at the end of games and throughout games, and you'd see a third down when he wasn't on the field. Now, whether or not that was him taking himself out or that was, you know, some sort of package that they had on on whatever play they wanted to run, not sure. But to me, the team is always going to be better when Stefan Diggs is on the field. Um, I think if you draft the wide receiver in the first round, it's with the idea that initially – he is your number two with the idea that you project out that he becomes your number one. Maybe mm-hmm. not this year because Stefan, I still do believe, has you know that left in him. But 2025, I think that becomes realistic to think that if you draft a guy high, that that, that becomes your goal is to develop him into the number one guy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I, to circle back to the Davis conversation a little bit, Josh, is – when Bean got asked about Diggs and, like, can he still be a number one receiver at the end of the year, 
he said the words, we have to continue to put weapons out there to keep teams from bracketing him or locking him down. Like He kind of gave credence to something that we saw a lot of film guys point out, that it just became too easy to cover Stefan Diggs. And I don't know, the GM kind of sounded to me like he wants... Like what you just mentioned, the guy that could eventually become the number one, but you'd like to think in the meantime, you know, is uh, is able to have an impact even on Diggs' uh, capabilities the next couple of years. Yeah, when you start the conversation about you know who's the number one and is Steph still that guy and can he maintain that for another year? Was the drop off? You know, is that something that's going to carry over? I think one of the things that you have to go back and look at is how well Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid played, in particular toward the end of the season. You start looking at that and the way Steph kind of fell off and those two guys continued to rise and continued to do good things inside that offense, you know, that's when you start to go, okay, they have enough weapons that if they can add a first round wide receiver to this mix and Gabe Davis is gone that you go there's there's a there's plenty to work it's not like we're looking at you know a group of playmakers where it's just absent of talent they I mean they spent a first rounder on a tight end and I don't know your thoughts but you know to me he did everything that you could have wanted to see you know in a first round of the first round tight end I thought he was really good and, and enough so that you go, wow, the potential is there to be not only good, but to be great. I think long-term, I think you look at him and you go, okay, Dalton Kincaid, maybe maybe he becomes your number two receiver quickly. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that happens real quick, maybe even as early as next year. So maybe you bring a receiver in and, and you know, maybe it takes them a little bit long. Yeah, receivers, rookie years, you know, I heard you mention, you know, there's a boom and bust, you know, and there's been a lot more boom lately than, than bust. Mm-hmm, and maybe mm-hmm. this guy is in, is somewhere in the land of the middle this first year. Yeah. Rasheed yeah. um, Rice, right? I feel like at the beginning of his year in Kansas City, it was like, ooh, maybe the Chiefs got got on this guy. I don't know. And then it, you just continue to see him progress his rookie year. And maybe that's what the Bills land. And to me, then they've they've kind of rounded out that that uh, receiving core in, in those different weapons that Josh will have. Yeah, that almost sounds like to me like you kind of see them and free agency will happen first. And as you mentioned, like there might be two or three booms for every bus, but there are busts. I mean, Quentin Johnston couldn't really play last year for the Chargers, and Burks the year before that for Tennessee. Do you see them bringing in like a, on a on a smaller deal almost like rookie receiver insurance or even insurance on the idea that the board doesn't fall their way, but if Davis leaves, I feel like there's got to be a move, even if it's smaller, uh, at that position next month. Yeah, and I think we've seen we've seen a hint at you know the, the thought behind that what you're talking about when they got Hamler right. Like as soon as the season ended, all of a sudden, <laughs> one of the first moves they make is a futures deal. With KJ Hamler, right? It's like, wow, mm-hmm. that was quick, you yep. know. And I mean, to me, look, I don't know that that, that that tells a whole story, and maybe I'm looking at it, digging a little too deep on it. But I don't know. It just kind of says that they're planning on making some moves at that at that spot. And I just, yep. I, I'm with you. I think that they would bring in a quote unquote insurance 
policy, huh? You know, on a rookie, maybe doesn't quite work out. I mean, you know, once again, you, you look at the way they're structured, you know, with the Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid, and I feel like they're very versatile in what they can do. So they bring in a, a veteran wide receiver. It doesn't necessarily need to be a guy that slots in on the outside or on the inside. Maybe it's somebody who can do a little bit of everything, which I think that's what they prefer. How many? I mean, you go all the way back to when Sean and Brandon took over. Position flexibility was, you know, how, how many times have we heard that in the last eight years? Um, so, yeah, but I, I would fully anticipate them looking at a guy like, a, you know, maybe it's not Trent Sherfield, but someone along those lines. Josh Reed on the Western Hotline. All right, the good news is for the Bills, now the bad news, you might lose a player like Gabe Davis, who's been a nice player for them, and you know we'll see where that goes. The good news is you don't have much on offense as far as free agency. The bad news is you do on defense. A lot of guys that are up for free agent contracts. Conventional wisdom, Josh, when we talk, other people, Daquan Jones might be the highest priority. Is it for you? Would Daquan Jones be the number one guy of all the pending free agents for the Bills to kind of try and secure again? I go back and forth. I I might lean A.J. Epinesa. Okay. Um, I, like I, I thought I saw a lot of development there in A.J. And, I mean, he started the season off on fire. And then remember he cracked his rib, right? Wasn't it a rib? Did he, didn't he injure his rib? Yeah, he did. Oh, listen, it was in Kansas City. He fell on it. I think it was in Kansas City, I believe. He fell on a fumble. I'm down there on the sidelines. Josh, It was he was... You know, he was in pain. You know what I mean? Like, these guys, they go through so much, but he was in pain. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So I think that I think that impacted him. Maybe not the rest of the season, but I think that impacted him for, for a good chunk of time. Um, but leading up to that injury, I mean, he was, he was playing with his hair on fire. It, you started to see, oh, this is the guy that the Bills thought they were – I mean, he was making plays – Remember, there was a storyline for two straight weeks where he was knocking balls down at the line of scrimmage, and it became a Josh Allen said he sees this every week in practice. Like, it just became, he became a storyline and the impactful plays he was making at the line. How, how often do we hear, you know, the Bills brass just preach, draft, and develop, and resign? Well, here's, here's one of their guys. I mean, this is one of their draft picks. Um, now on the open market, is he going to get, is he going to get a lot thrown at him because he's still really young? You know, this is his first time at being a free agent and let's face it <laughs> outside of, you know, the guys who throw it, the guys who chase the guys who throw it are the second most important. We know that in Buffalo because how often have we talked about the only way to beat Mahomes is to be able to get pressure on him with the front four. We've talked about it ad nauseum, right? Well, I mean, I, I do think that he I, – I would maybe lean A.J. Epinesa, and I think age has a lot to do with it. Um, Daquan, don't get me wrong, Daquan, man, he was such a huge part of that front four. Once again, you know, he gets injured, you know, toward the middle of the season, has a great year, finds a way to get back from that injury, you know. And, I mean, you could just tell when, you know, it was kind of declared that he was going to make it back, that just the entire defensive line was like, okay, we got our guy back now. Right. And I mean, he and he, you know, the argument for Daquan is he he helps at Oliver, be, you know, just become a, even more elite. Right. He pushes at Oliver's game to the next level, which, you know, you have a huge investment there. So put, putting a guy like Daquan next to him, um, 
is is really vitally important. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd go back and forth between those two guys. But I may lean AJ Epinesa sheerly on age. Do you do you see them doing anything at corner this off season? I don't. I know that that's kind of like the that's kind of like the big. I don't know. I feel like a lot more draft analysts that that I've been reading. And yeah. Stuff, it, I feel like the national guys are putting this big emphasis on what the Bills do at cornerback in the draft, and almost like it's a need. Like if you look at all of them when they list the different needs, cornerback shows up on almost all the lists, and it has me a little like, really? You think? Like I'm not saying that they wouldn't take a flyer on a guy, you know, a mid-round guy, round five, round six, something like that. But we've seen they've hit they've hit on those guys a ton. I don't know. I just feel like they're deep enough at that position. Some of that will come down to where they stand with Tredavious White. Mm-hmm. You know, how confident are they? Look, if they draft a cornerback in round two, that may tell us all we need to know about Tredavious White, right? I mean, that may tell us that they don't think he's going to be ready for quite some time. And unfortunately, we haven't heard from Trey since the injury and we know what it took for him not only physically to get back from that first injury but mentally and psychologically what it he went through to get through i mean when we talked to him for the first time like you could just hear it in his soul when he was telling us what he went through to get back and to go have to go through all that again i mean that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to shoulder so it'll be interesting to see where the bills go but i i don't i think they've got enough talent in that room and enough experience in that room um, that they should be fine. That doesn't mean you don't look, you know, maybe for a veteran free agent to come in and kind of help bolster somebody that maybe has a little more, you know, tread left on the tires than Josh Norman. And I think Josh Norman, they brought him in and he was more <laughs> of a kind of like yeah. a, just like a role model and a mentor inside that room than anything else. But I think that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a veteran added to that room, but I using a high, draft pick even a first three round draft pick to me I I would be shocked Josh you can attack this one any way you want it's kind of a broad question but all the coaching changes just kind of your thoughts overall Joe Brady OC Bobby Babbage goes to DC they lose Eric Washington and now John Butler Um, just the changes there and you know what you think it means and what how the impact they might have on the Bills yeah you know we're creeping up on the combine right coming up next week um sean's first ever combine in indianapolis i went over all a lot of the head coaches will do like a podium right so ron rivera was holding his podium obviously sean coming from ron rivera and everything and we know the ties there so i went over to ron rivera's podium um and asked what advice he gave sean becoming a first-time head coach and ron rivera i'll never forget he said I told him as a first-time head coach and being younger that he'd be very wise to surround himself and put coaches on his coaching staff that have head coaching experience if he can, you know, and guys who have been in the league a long time. Well, Rick Dennison, Leslie Frazier, right? Those were his first two coordinators. (laughs) Now fast forward, right? And now he goes to Bobby Babich and Joe Brady with guys obviously in between. We're talking about a first-year head coach that hired his coordinators who were born in the 50s, in the 1950s. <laughs> These coordinators were born in the 80s. 
<laughs> so that tells you where, and I think that that's just a natural pr- progression for a head coach, right? I think that it's wild. You, you just get you just get more comfortable, right? You get more comfortable in knowing, you know, you know the lay of the land, if you will, for lack of a better kind of phrase. So, you know, the idea is now I can bring guys in who, you know, you can help mold a little bit and they maybe they bring some fresh ideas, you know, to the room, which I have always thought is big as much as it's great to have continuity. And that, and that was huge early on, especially for Sean and his coaching career, have that continuity, have the same voices in the room. Now I think there's, there is, room for fresh ideas and fresh perspectives. And I think that's what you get when you bring in, you know, a, a Bobby Babbage and you not bring him in, but when you elevate him and you elevate Joe Brady from quarterback coach. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be, going to be interesting. To, it's going to be a storyline all season, you know, for better or worse. I mean, the same way Sean was when, you know, last year at this time, you know, we're in Indy. And suddenly we find out Leslie Frazier is no longer going to be the defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. So then the storyline became, okay, how does this play out? What does Sean McDermott look like as a first time, you know, defensive coordinator slash head coach? Like what's he getting? Well, I I don't know that it could have gone a whole lot better. I mean, he, you know, I know that there's some questions on different game management stuff, but in the sheer side of head coach, defensive play caller, I think it went, really well um so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it plays out it's going to be a storyline all season with the young guys you know taking over as the defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator how's uh how's you guys how's indy as a city to uh spend a few days in oh it's awesome yeah it's It's, great it's 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 an under isn't it a really underrated underrated? city josh i love it It, it's so great and it's centralized where they put it Uh uh-huh so uh, like the hotels the convention center everything's very walkable like Lucas Oil, that's all just kind of right there. I, I mean, I don't know that you need to get in an Uber to do anything. You can just kind of walk, just kind of walk everywhere. It's got great restaurants. It's got a lot of good restaurants. You know, it's not like oh, there's only two places that you know is worth that are worth mm-hmm. going to. It's got plenty of plenty of that. Um, yeah, it's a really good city, and I know that there, you know there was a lot of talk the last couple of years in particular about moving it. And you ask around Indianapolis, whether it's national media guys or coaches or GMs or whatever, personnel, scouts, whatever, and they will tell you, college coaches, you know, they go there to kind of support their guys or college coaches who are looking for possible openings in the NFL. You ask everybody across the board, and you'll be hard-pressed to find a lot of people that want to see it moved out of Indianapolis. Uh, Everybody seems to like that as the spot, and I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great spot. I, I would even say this, Josh. I'd go this far. Next year, the Bills have a really terrific road schedule as far as cities. You can go to Houston, L.A., Seattle. I wouldn't sleep on Indy. If someone's looking for a nice trip that might be a little cheaper and you know drive over there, I wouldn't sleep on Indy. Instead of going all the way out to L.A. or Seattle, if you can't make that out west trip, I think Indy's a nice place to go You know, on a road trip, hang out, restaurants, night before the game, go to a Bills game. I think that would be a nice trip for people. And a lot of the Bills fans who have traveled to there to watch games that I've talked to and, and just being inside that stadium, it sounds like the sight lines inside Lucas Oil yep. are really good. Like one of those, like not a really a bad seat in the house, almost like Ford yep. Field. You get that a lot in Ford Field. Exactly. Um, 
but yeah, I would I would highly recommend Indy if, if local fans are looking for a game to shoot over to, and it's an easy it's an easy drive even. So, hey, um, what do you guys got going next week for the combine over on Channel Four? Yeah, so we're gonna get there Monday. Um, you know, I know that hopefully there's gonna be some availability during the week with John and Brandon, um, and then it's 39 wide receivers. <laughs> right so 39 receivers yeah. were invited to this combine so it, i think they speak on friday so friday will probably yeah. be the busiest day just trying to get all the intel you can possibly get on every single wide receiver um you know earlier in the week you know you got the defensive linemen going and so obviously i think that's a that's a huge talking point coming out of indy you know which guys kind of impressed and you know, so yeah, so we'll be we'll be hitting it hard Monday through Friday um, before we leave out Saturday. Um, or yeah, so it'll be be it's it's always a good week because it's good to get kind of the idea and kind of the the mind frame of different scouts around the league and just kind of talk to them, even if it's off record, about you know where do you see the Bills going? What do you think? You know, what would best benefit? Who's the player? You know who's the guy who's the, who's the quick riser in the draft that people should be looking at. So it's, it's always good to get all that intel in one spot in one week. All right, buddy. Well, I look forward to seeing you out there and uh, having a nice steak dinner. We won't tell our bosses for our expense accounts, okay? <laughs> that's right. We'll have to figure out a way to divvy it up there. So that sounds good. We'll see you there. Uh, looking forward to it. All right, you got it. Josh Reed, WIVB TV Channel Four, joining us to talk bills. We'll talk back to Sabers and Miracle on Ice. Paul Hamilton joins us next. He has a personal connection to that particular hockey team. And, of course, Sabres' big win last night in Montreal. Well, it was a nice win, let's just say. It's not really big yet with the standings where they are. We'll take a timeout. Come back here on the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. All right, we're going to get Paul Hamilton here on the Wester Hotline. As always, Paul's appearances on WGR brought to you by Equitable Advisors. Thinking about today and planning for tomorrow by Relax Honda. Relax, we got this. We played the clip right there, 1980, 44 years ago today. Paul, you have a personal connection to that 1980 team. I know some people know. They've heard it before. But you were playing college hockey back then, right? And why don't you give us the story and how all that went down for you? Yeah, we were... um... I was at the uh, Olympic tryouts in St. Paul, and uh, they have uh, just a bunch of scouts, including Brooks in the stands at the time, and there's probably 200-some-odd people that were invited to that. And then after a couple of days, they cut it down to 60, where we had four teams, 15 each, and we played. And then after that, 25 people are invited to go back to Colorado Springs, and I was not invited for that. I mean, it's still amazing to advance on that far uh, where you were. So give, give me something about that group, like the group you're with. Were you with any of the guys, like, that wound up playing on the team? Did you get to know anybody? Like, what were those yeah, relationships Mark Johnson like? Mark Johnson was my center. Mark Johnson okay. was my center for the games. So uh, I did get to know wow. him. And 
got to remember back then we're not talking about internet or anything like that. So you don't really know right. who these guys are unless you played against sure. them. You know, so and even then you didn't have a lot of advanced scouting film and all that kind of stuff back mm-hmm. then either in college hockey. So most of them are just faces. I mean, you didn't know you were playing with or against uh, future guys that are going to be on the team, and you wouldn't. You know, I didn't know Mike Ramsey from a hole in the wall, and I just heard he was one of the last guys to touch the puck in that clip that you just played uh, mm-hmm, before right. they uh, actually beat the Soviet Union in that game. Did you know when you were going through the process? Like, could you tell? What's the skill level like? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, they beat the Soviets. Nobody expects that. But how good were these guys? Like, how, how good was the team? How good were the players that you, you had to go up against and what you thought about their skill level compared to college hockey that you had been playing? Well, no regrets. I can tell you I had a very, very good weekend. And, I knew, you know, you knew you weren't going to – I wasn't going to get there. I mean, you, just because of the skill level, you could see from some of the players that you, that you were up against. And that was the one thing – that I always said that I never had any problems keeping up with anybody. I could skate with anybody, but the people who played professional hockey and they could take a puck and they needed maybe a square that's just a little bit bigger than a puck, but not more to score a goal and hit, hit the net. I needed something maybe 10 times bigger than that to hit, Mm -hmm. you know, I, my shot wasn't going to hit that little corner there. I needed a little bit more room than that if I was going to score. And that was the biggest thing I could see in the difference, you know, how they could just wire a shot exactly where they wanted it. And mine might be a little bit high, a little bit low, Mm -hmm. but not exactly there. And that was the biggest difference as I saw is pretty much the way they shot. And, and of course, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be able to go end to end and, you know, go through the whole team and that kind of thing where, you know, a lot of guys playing in college hockey you wind up in the NHL could do that. Mm-hmm. What, how did you end up then taking in the tournament once it happened? We talked about earlier how it like, mm-hmm. wasn't really on live TV. It was tape delay a lot. Um, how did you take in the tournament then once it started? Yeah, just watching it uh, like everybody else did on TV. You know, the games that you could watch, and it wasn't like you had – you know, all the different channels that you have now during the Olympics where you can go, what do they have, four or five different channels going all day long, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, when you're watching the Olympics. So you It's hard to find where they're on. They're on so many channels now. Yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of choose the events you want to go see. This was basic. I think it was ABC back then, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, if you wanted to watch a game or, or something like that, you basically had to tune into that. I was at school, so I, I didn't have CBC to, to be able to watch on. But, uh, yeah, so for me it was whatever ABC showed you. Hmm. Paul Hamilton here on the Wester Hotline. Just real quick on that roster for that team. We go way back talking about this, Paul. For the last 12 years I've been at WGR. You and I are very much in agreement. Mike Ramsey should be up in the rafters uh, for the Buffalo mm-hmm. Sabres, number five. But you think about the crew. He was just in town, by the way, recently. You know, last week he was here, actually. Um, my favorite all-time Sabre because probably I was at that age where I knew he won the gold. He came to the Sabres. He was a rookie. He's a really good defenseman. Always loved watching him play. Um, but when you think about that group and some of the guys who went on to the NHL, Neil Broughton, Ken Morrow, I mean, these aren't guys that just did well at that level. They went, and some of them had really nice NHL careers. Yeah, like Mike Arruzzioni, their captain, he was more of a niche player. You know, right. he, he didn't have a big NHL career, but he fit. He fit what they were trying to do, what Brooks was trying to do, and fit as a leader. 
And that's, that's, that's the definition of a team. The team that wins whatever sport we're talking about isn't the, like the best 20 guys. It's the best team. You know, how did you put together a team that, you know, has stars, that has role players, you know, and, and it, you know, it's no different in almost any sport that you talk about. You need role players to do different things. And you just can't show up with 20 guys who have the talent, the Gilbert Perot type of a thing back then. <laughs> so, you know, that's where a guy like a Ruzioni or Jim Craig didn't have a long and a career in goal. But certainly they, did, they wouldn't have done what they did without him, you know, as far as the Olympic team. So, yeah, some of them did. Uh, McClanahan was here with the Sabres also, Robbie McClanahan, yeah. um, uh, w- along with Mike Ramsey. I'm trying to think of any others from that team ever wound up here. They, nothing's jumping out at me right now. Pavlich had a very long career uh, with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. So some of them did. Neil Broughton at one time may have been considered the greatest American-born player ever. He was really good. Mm-hmm. Had a great – I don't know if he would still – I mean, obviously have a lot of guys since then. Patrick Kane, Pat LaFontaine came along. But Neil Broughton at one point was considered one of the greatest American-born players ever. And Neil Broughton was a player I had been exposed to because we played a lot of games in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And the high school tournament in Minnesota is crazy popular. Yeah. So if you turned on your TV and you were in Minnesota, you were seeing live high school hockey games from Minnesota. And Neil Broughton just ripped that tournament up uh, that one year he was in it. So he was one of the few guys I had heard of. Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline. All right, Paul. Um, Sabres last night. Great, By the way, great stuff. We appreciate that. Sabres last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to Montreal. They get another win. Um, big couple big goals uh, later in the second period. They kind of took charge there. What did you see from the team and their response after being down one nothing early? Yeah, they were able to give up the first goal and still were okay. You know, I, it wasn't like they were playing poorly when they gave up the first goal. What Montreal likes to do uh, I can't remember. I, I, I might not have the stat exactly right, but it's something like 23% of their goals come from their defense, and both their goals hmm. last night came from their defense, and a lot of their shots did. And a lot of their shots hit glass and the boards, which means the Sabres were taking away the shot lane and wasn't giving it to them, and then they were trying to get too fine with it and wide. But Montreal had 48 shot attempts. 25 came from their six defensemen. 11 of them were on net. So Buffalo was willing to let them shoot from distance and just fire it, especially when they when they found out very quickly that Uko Pekalukunen was on his game. You know, he just had the one game where he was off earlier in the week. Uh, to me, it was the first game he had been off since mid-December. and But he was right on it and, uh, you know, made some great saves in that game. But they were willing to let them take those shots from distance and – even in the third period when the shots were 11-4 Montreal, it took Buffalo maybe 12 minutes to get their first shot. But honestly, guys, I wasn't sitting there saying to myself, boy, they're in trouble. You know, I, I, I because a lot of the Montreal, Montreal had two really good chances. One was a tip by Anderson and another one by Evans right afterwards with point blank. And Lukanen made great saves on those. But a lot of the other shots were from distance. And the Sabres uh, did a pretty good job, you know, when they broke up plays. They would just flip it out to center ice if they had to, just to get it out of danger, which was fine. You know, I thought that was fine, 
you know, just make sure you don't turn it over. They put the puck up high, got it out to center ice, and lived to fight another day. Um, you know, the, the one time Yoki Haru tried that, he lost the puck. He, he fanned on it, and that turned into a good chance, too, that uh, Lukanen just got a piece of it, and then it went wide. So, you know, he did have to make some good saves, but I never sat in there and said to myself, boy, they're really in trouble right now. Because the shots were, I think, midway through the period were 5 nothing. So it wasn't like Montreal was out shooting them 13 to nothing. It's just Buffalo chose to, okay, we're just going to make sure we get the puck out of danger and live to fight another day. When it comes to... I think maybe... Go ahead, go ahead Joe. I was just going to talk about uh, Lukanen again, Paul, last night where... He makes 29 saves. He's the game's number one star. Um, I mean, there was not a good performance by him against Anaheim, and we had not really seen that from him. And I think how important for him to bounce back after what might have been his worst game of the season. Yeah, that was a good test. He might have had some games that were worse when he was coming back from when he got sick. But you're right, it wasn't good. I mean, there were two goals that he definitely kind of fumbled around with and wound up in his net. And I think that was the test we hadn't seen yet. Okay, you're, you're playing really, really well. You're playing, your numbers are, in some cases, best in the NHL since January 1st. And let's see how you rebound. Well, he answered that question in a big hurry. He rebounded very, very well and made some great saves. And, you know, they, they don't, you know, in a one-goal game, if he's not on, they probably don't win. So... You know, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. They they got some big goals. Skinner got on the on the board, but you could almost predicted that because of the way he plays against the Montreal Canadiens, even though he hadn't had a goal since he got back from injury, which is nine games. But it, it's just a feeling you get as an athlete, and you guys both played sports, and you know that you know you could be in a slump or whatever, but you just get into that venue that is your venue. You know, and you always have success there. And even if you're not playing well, your confidence all of a sudden rises. And that's exactly what happened. Skinner almost scored earlier in the game mm-hmm. on the wraparound in the first period. And then he did score on the power play when Cousin, he and Cousins came down. Cousins hits the post, rebound goes to Skinner, and he put it away. So uh, it was just one of those things where you, you just kind of had it. I, I told Brian when we were talking about keys to the game, get the puck to Skinner. This is his. This is his building. Get <laughs> the puck right. to Skinner, <laughs> and and you're probably going to be okay. And he he scored a big goal because think about it. I mean, Struble scored to make a two to one Montreal, and you know the game could get away from you there. That was at six thirty five, and at nine twenty eight, Skinner ties it ties it up again. So you get that goal back right away. Uh, you know, on the road in a place where they're now six and one. They're the second best road team since the turn of uh, 2024. The only team that's better hasn't lost yet. Nine, the 9-0 nine and Florida Panthers. So uh, the Sabres, uh, you know, they, they don't crumble when they're on the road like they do at home. Sabres with another road game in Columbus tomorrow night against the Blue Jackets, 7 p.m. puck drop, 6 o'clock pregame here on WGR. It is the dad's trip. Paul, i got to tell you, I know the the win was nice, but maybe my favorite part of the night was hearing Alex Tuck tell you after the game it was a successful first leg of the trip because his dad didn't get in trouble in Montreal. <laughs> Some of them were here for the home game, but that doesn't count because they all weren't here yet. So, uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I don't know if people saw the video of the dads that came in and announced the starting lineup. Each one introduced their kid. 
And uh, Clifton's yeah. dad, cool. he did the speech. You know, he came in and, and did the head coach speech and, you know, got them all fired up. And you can see how much they all enjoyed uh, the dads coming in and doing that. So, I, you know, I'm sure it's a win they're proud of just because their dads are yeah. here and their dads have sacrificed a lot for them or mentors. It's it, mentors sure. and to be able to perform, get a win like that, uh, you know, everybody's happy now. Got to run, Paul. Thanks a lot for your time today. No problem, guys. Take care. All right, Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up very quickly. Just want to mention something in college football and really college football and the NFL that's happening. A little bit of a seed change we'll talk about briefly to wrap up the show here on the Extra Point Show today. All right, our own Sal Capaccio is headed down to the NFL Combine. Coverage of the NFL Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com and by Outlet Liquor. When you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? All right, Joe, very quickly here. We might be able to get more into this tomorrow a little bit, but, you know, the um, transfer portal and NIL, we know that there's massive changes. Everyone's going to ruin college sports, going to do this, going to do that. Yeah, there have been changes with the players. You know who it might be impacting the most? You see this report from Adam Schefter, which is really interesting. I don't know if you've seen this. He said the trend that has emerged this winter, many college coaches are tired of the transfer portal and the NIL and now in the NCAA and want to work in the NFL. And college coaches are trying to get out of college to go work in the NFL because of that, because they're tired of having to deal with it. So they're going to go to the NFL. Wait, oh, just because of how complicated it is, not necessarily because they're against like the idea of oh, players right. getting paid. Sure, like yeah, how yeah, much yeah. it is. Like, yeah, they're not against it necessarily. Yeah, they're okay. like basically trying to keep up with it and recruiting people and you know paying. What are we doing here? And I, I think it's it's probably very frustrating for them. You recruit these kids, they come, they stay a year, they leave. Now we got to recruit more kids. Got to what are we paying you? Everything. Yeah. Uh that okay. That uh, yeah. That that makes more sense then because it's the wild west right now. Yes. Right. Like there's no one has any clue what other schools are doing and who's being you know held to different standards. It's pretty tough. Yeah, I think the Bills did this. They just hired Jamil Adai. He's their new corners coach. He's never coached in the NFL. He's he's coming from the University of Miami. I bet you that's the kind of situation. Like, yeah, I mean, hey, get me out of here. And I'm sure they're getting more money, right? It's the NFL, not college. So, of course, right? Like, who wouldn't want to do it? But I do think it's an indictment of and a very, very big um, statement against what, on what's happening with NIL and the transfer portal, because I think the ripple effect now, of course, is, you know, we see these college coaches and them wanting to get out. So it's very interesting. All right. Tomorrow, Friday, we'll lock it back up for you here on the Norton Automotive Extra Point Show at 10 a.m. In the meantime, you have Sabres Live up next and One Bills Live and Show Up with the Bulldog at 3 o'clock here on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.